welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. It's time again for an update on the latest in labor and employment law developments. To remind you, updates are all based on recent cases that have been decided, new laws that have been passed, and general news from the world of labor and employment law. Let's start with some big news from earlier this week regarding the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, or the PWFA, if you will. A Texas court enjoined enforcement of the PWFA against the state of Texas. The issue here is that during COVID, the House allowed proxy voting in order to keep the chamber less crowded, with some strict requirements for proxies. When the law that the PWFA was part of passed, there was a quorum call before its passage, and it passed because of proxies. There were not a majority of members physically present at the quorum vote. So the state of Texas sued, arguing that the use of proxy voting violated the quorum clause of the Constitution. The Texas court put an injunction in place, but also noted the limited scope of the case in its opinion and the relief granted. Although it found that the passage of the Consolidated Appropriations Act violated the Constitution, Texas was only seeking an injunction of application of the PWFA against Texas and not the entire act. Thus, the court enjoined only the application of the PWFA and the relief granted was limited to, quote, abating the injury that Texas has proven will occur, end quote. So this doesn't mean that employers can now ignore the PWFA. It applies only to Texas. Will there be other challenges to the law based on this argument? That's something we'll have to keep an eye on going forward. Next, let's look at a couple of COVID vaccine cases. Remember the vaccine mandate? You may recall that a lot of employers, or I'm sorry, a lot of employees were terminated over their refusal to comply with employer vaccine mandates and a lot of resulting lawsuits, usually based on claims of religious or disability discrimination, are winding their way through the courts. Two recent decisions have come out. In Gibbons versus Disney Parks Experience and Products, Inc. from the Middle District of Florida, an employee was terminated by Disney for refusing the vaccine and not consistently wearing a mask as required by company policy. The employee asserted claims for discrimination and retaliation under Title VII and the Florida Civil Rights Act, discrimination, retaliation, and coercion under the ADA, and violation of the Private Sector Whistleblower Act. Now, there were a lot of different claims raised in this case, but ultimately, the court held that it could not conclude that the company terminated the employee because of his refusal to comply with the vaccine mandate, as his allegations instead suggested that he was fired for repeated non-compliance with safety protocols. In a similar case, Kennedy v. Pygenesis out of the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, the employee claimed that his employer had unlawfully regarded him as disabled since he was unvaccinated and that he was unlawfully terminated after he sought a religious exemption to his employer's COVID-19 vaccine policy. The court found for the employer in this case as well, noting that the employee had been called into a meeting with the HR manager and his supervisor to discuss his accommodation request. They found his demeanor inappropriate, and afterward advised him he was being terminated for insubordinate behavior during the meeting. Like the Disney case, this employee brought several claims. 
Ultimately, the court concluded that the employee's opposition to the vaccine was not a product of Christianity's comprehensive system of beliefs about fundamental or ultimate matters. Instead, the employee held an isolated view based on a single moral teaching, that he should not defile his body. Moreover, his practice was inconsistent, as he admittedly would put some medicines into his body, but not others. In sum, no reasonable juror could conclude that his opposition to the vaccine was a product of deep and imponderable questions. The court stated that, as one of many courts that had rejected similar arguments put it, at best, his position reflects a personal medical judgment about the necessity of COVID-19 vaccination rigged out with religious verbiage. Now, I bring these cases up not to give you a detailed analysis of the arguments, but to point out the general trend that most courts are rejecting the arguments of employees who were terminated over their refusals to get vaccinated or other, otherwise comply with employer directives regarding COVID. These cases are pretty typical, and while outlier cases are not impossible, I don't expect employees to be successful with these types of claims. Finally, let's take a look at a retaliation case out of the Southern District of Alabama, Cole versus Three Circle Church. In this case, a former facilities director raised Title VII claims alleging a pastor who supervised him suggested subjected him to a sexually hostile work environment and terminated him in retaliation for complaining in an anonymous letter purporting to be written by a group of church members. The church's anti-harassment policy required staff to report any violations to any member of the executive team, which consisted of the church's four executive pastors. The employee signed an acknowledgment that he received the policy, but he did not report his supervisor's alleged harassment. Instead, he raised the pastor's alleged behavior in two anonymous letters in which he claimed to be a group of church members. The first letter was sent in the fall of 2018 and complained about the, how the pastor conducts himself personally and that he uses language that you would not expect to come from a pastor. He does things that are inappropriate and needs to keep his hands to himself. The letter concluded, Our church is not used to this behavior from a man who professes to be a pastor. We sure don't need any type of potential scandal associated with the church. About a year later, he wrote a second letter in which Supposed church members questioned why the pastor was repeatedly rude and disrespectful to members, especially senior citizens and volunteers. The letter also stated, It is obvious he has anger issues, but why is this allowed? Members have actually left the church because of this behavior. Now, the employee was terminated for performance reasons, and he brought claims of sexual harassment and retaliation. The court found for the church on both claims. As to harassment, the employee claimed 12 instances of conduct by the pastor over a 20- to 22-month period, and these, these uh, instances of inappropriate conduct included things like coming up to him and rubbing his lower back, pinching him above the hip bone, grabbing his neck and squeezing, punching him in the shoulder while he was arranging chairs, trying to grab his keys out of his pocket, pushing him from behind in the middle of the back while walking into the church building, pulling his t-shirt up while he was moving boxes, placing his hands on his stomach and telling him that he's getting fat and rubbing down towards his belt line and slapping him on the knee when he walked by him. Now, the court noted that while the alleged conduct may have been annoying and even offensive, it did not create an actionable hostile work environment. 
and dividing the number of alleged instances over the course of 22 months, it showed that the frequency of the conduct occurred only once every other month or so. It was also far less severe than conduct that many circuits have held insufficient for a sexual harassment claim. Turning to the retaliation claim, the court concluded that there was no protected activity, which is a requirement for a retaliation claim. In other words, you have to establish that you did something protected by statute, like complaining about discrimination. Here, the employee never reported his his supervisor's alleged harassment. Instead, he wrote anonymous letters insinuating that the pastor should be investigating without identifying himself as an employee who was being harassed. And he actually admitted that he intentionally included misleading information in the letter because he did not want the church to know that he was the author. The anonymous letters also didn't complain about unlawful employment practices, but focused instead on church operations. Also, the employee could not show a causal link between his alleged protected activity and his termination, since the church claimed it did not know he wrote the anonymous letters until after he filed his EEOC charge, which of course was after he was terminated. Now, this case raises several issues that are worth keeping in mind when it comes to harassment and retaliation claims. First, the bar for actionable harassment is actually pretty high. That is, the conduct has to be severe and pervasive, and this means it has to be pretty bad and has to go beyond merely annoying and rude conduct, and the employee simply didn't have evidence of that level of harassment in this case. Also, when it comes to retaliation, the employee has to establish protected conduct and a causal connection between the conduct and an adverse employment action like termination. Frankly, I will never understand the anonymous complaint letter, and I see them all the time. Now, I know the argument is that the employee is afraid of retribution for complaining, but that kind of retribution is against the law. The anonymous letter does not give the employee any protection, and I always feel like it's hard to take an anonymous letter seriously. But finally, as in many employment law cases, the timeline is critical. Here, the employer did not even know about the employee's complaint until after his termination when he filed the EEOC charge. As a result, they could not possibly have terminated him because of the complaint. I've used this argument in many cases, and whether it's a case like this one where no one knew the employee complained, or a more common scenario where maybe someone knew about the complaint but not the decision maker, it's always a strong argument. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.